Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dana Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. With the big pay-per-view of February is finally here, UFC 284, live from Perth, Australia. We'll be breaking down the big super fight, lightweight title fight, and the featherweight interim championship. Plus, of course, one other fight of that is our favorite on this main card as part of our favorite segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We'll also give you an underdog at a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, we're talking to two of the fighters on this fight card. I'm talking with Blake Builder and Don Chanis, who are both heading from the United States down under to fight a local boy. So we're going to catch all of that great content in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all your bets from all your sports books in one nice, neat little spot, helping you stay on the top of the ways that you are the most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that be showing off your big score to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community, Picket has you covered. New veteran and experienced users are all flocking to the Picket community, so what are you waiting for? Download the Picket app on the Google Play Store or the App Store today and get in on the fun. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Blake Builder, who fights Shane Young at UFC 284. That fight is February 11th in Perth, Australia. So, Blake, before we get to talking about that upcoming fight, I want to talk about on the Contender Series, you win in that contract. You pick up a quick win over Alex Morgan back in August. I feel like with the finish, you had to know the contract was coming, right? But, like, describe that feeling a little bit when Dana officially says yes and you're sitting in that chair. Man, as soon as I got done with that fight, you know, I did my little dance in front of him, and uh, I was walking by, told him to get that pen ready, and uh, you know, it's like, it's like, man, that it was, it felt familiar, to be honest, Dan. It was like I had visualized it, I wrote it down in my 60-day goals, I had looked at those goals so many times that uh, I, I had seen it a million times in my mind's eye, you know, so, uh, it felt amazing, but it also felt like, uh, like, of course, you know, I just, I didn't know how I was going to finish it or how it was going to go or how it was going to end. I just knew that, uh, I would, I would, I would be in the UFC no matter what. So, so when you're sitting there in that chair, no nerves at any point in time, you're like, that's getting done. He was smiling. You, you felt good the whole time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I felt I felt fantastic the whole time. I mean, this guy was the number one fighter in all of Canada, four pro titles, wins over guys in the UFC. Uh, they had me as a huge underdog, which uh, I love, you know, because uh, I got that dog in me. So they gotta they gotta they gotta keep counting me out, and I'm gonna keep proving them wrong, Dan. You know, it's just something I've been doing my whole career, my whole life. So it's nothing new to me, and uh, yeah, I knew. I knew going into that room, waiting around afterwards, that the contract is going to be signed and uh, we'd be going to the UFC and then getting ready to merge some tools in there. 
Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you knew it was going to get signed. You were hoping, you know, to, to get in there and prove more people wrong. But it's been a little bit since that fight happened, right? Like I mentioned, that was the end of August. You're not here fighting now until, you know, the, the second week of February, almost six months later. Is this kind of the layoff that you wanted, or were you hoping to get back in there quickly? I mean, it's never a layoff for me, Dan. I'm constantly and continuously improving and getting better every day. So it's actually worse and worse for everybody else in the division because I'm getting that much better. I do not take days off. I don't relax. I don't chill. I'm obsessed, and this is all I think about. This is this is the moment I've been waiting for. When we got news that it was going to be uh, uh, in February, we got it uh, late December. Perfect. All right, this is this is nothing new. If it was two weeks' notice, perfect. We would have been ready. But we have more time to prepare. It's worse for these guys because I just keep continually getting better, and it doesn't bother me. You know, you know if if uh, if it was the other end, which which it is, if I had only had I don't know maybe like two fights in like two or three years, like my opponent, I'd be worried then. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I, I'm curious because, you know, you, you are relatively new to the professional ranks, right? Like, you, you became a pro in 2018, you know, so we're, we're talking about five years turnaround. But you are a guy who's been in the game for a long time. You've been in the game for a decade at this point since your first amateur fights and whatnot. How do you feel like you're still improving so much? Because you're, you're talking right now about, you know, you feel like you're getting better and better every single day. How, how do you maintain that? I'm an outlier, man. It's just always what I was meant to be. You know, since I was a kid, I was I was uh, watching WWF. You know, Shawn Michaels, the the the, the Heartbreak Kid. You know, uh, Mick Foley. You know, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Guys that are larger than life. Bret Hart, Owen Hart. You know, these guys were my idols. And it just so happens that they were under the spotlight. Long hair in the cage, going for the belt, putting on a show, talking to the crowd. This is what I was destined and born to do. I believe God placed me specifically on this earth to, to, to kick ass and take names. And I'm looking forward to doing both of them. I love it. So you grew up as a, a big fan of pro wrestling. Yeah. How did you wind up in, in MMA then instead of pro wrestling? It's funny because, like, I – uh, we would always do like wrestling championship Royal Rumbles on the on the trampoline in the backyard in my backyard. <laughs> I would host events. We would get the belt, you know. Like it was crazy, you know. Like we were like we were pretty athletic, you know. Like we were doing a lot of acrobatics, like backflips on and off, off the the trampoline, you know, kicking each other off the trampoline, you know, like killing each other when we were kids. But you know, we 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 never got hurt. We always had fun. Um, it's just something, it's just something I always wanted to do, but there was no like wrestling league in Minnesota, at least that I knew about, you know? So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. So I, I, I was never able to get into it. So I, I uh, gave that up and then I discovered working out and I love that. And I was doing that since I was a kid, like sit-ups before bed push-ups before bed, um, hit a little weights before bed. When I'd wake up, I had like a little routine, you know, ever since I was a youngin, 
And uh, I always did that. And then I discovered the weight room late middle school. And that was my obsession. And, uh, you know, it was like just kind of self-discovery, like through the whole thing. And, you know, like discovering that I love boxing. That's like, uh, I love it, love it, love it. And then like falling in love with jujitsu and wrestling, like, oh, this is wrestling. I wish I did this all through all through my childhood in high school you know but even better i'm doing it right now you know so i'm playing a little catch up but that's all right i don't mind that either you know i believe that anything that i put my mind to i can get better at and i'm ready and willing to do anything in this very moment to sacrifice who i am for who i'll become I dig it. I dig it. Now, I love asking this question to all fighters because it's a, a thing that I, I like to keep mental notes on. But I like to know where nicknames came come from. And I feel like you just cued us into where El Animal comes from, that, that mindset, that, that piece. But tell me a little bit about how you became El Animal. Yeah, so uh, I was getting ready for National Golden Gloves. And uh, I had this, boxer, this boxing coach, Arian Amorito Lara. And... Every time I'd get done holding pads with him, his hands would be shaking. And he's like, he's like, God damn it, Blake. He's like, he's like, he's like, he's fucking mas chingon. He's like, he's like, my fucking hands are always shaking. He's like, hey, Blake, you know what your fucking name is? And I was like, yeah, Blake. And he's like, nah. <laughs> he's like, pinche aligning mouth. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, it means you're a fucking animal. I was like, fuck yeah, pinche al animal. Fucking like that. So and we took the pinche out and uh, just stuck to al animal. But yeah, pinche al animal. I dig it. I dig it. So al animal is heading down under for his UFC debut. Now, I got to ask you, you know, in your wildest dreams, you were talking about, you know, wanting to be in front of the big crowds and all that. Yes, but did you, in your wildest dreams, did you think it would be happening halfway across the globe in Australia for your first UFC fight? Yes, I thought that it would be overseas. No, I didn't think it would be Australia. Australia is going to be sick. I'm so excited. Uh, I know some flight attendants uh, that that told me all about it. Um, I'm excited, man. I, I, it's 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 a dream come true. You know, I get to travel the world. I feel like I'm in a uh, uh, street fighter, you know, I'm just uh, traveling all <laughs> around different countries, different places in the, and just, uh, you know, like a little, 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 uh, little Shaolin monk, like a, like a Ronin, you know, samurai. So it's dope doing ninja shit all day. I dig it. I dig it. And like street fighter, you're also going to be fighting the hometown kid, right? Like that is the, the beauty of street fighter. You go to the land of whoever you're about to fight you're yeah. going to fight somebody from down under. What What's the thought like for that one? You're, you're going to be the enemy. You're going to be the hated one in that crowd. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. I live for this. I thrive for that. Boo me. Boo me all you want. I'll eventually win you over. I'll eventually change your mind. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's like, it's like yeah, he's from your country, but... You know, it's like I'm gonna put on a show. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a uh, 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 entertaining fight, and I'm gonna win the hearts of the Aussies. And 
And I think it's just going to be a, a, a beautiful day, a beautiful thing, a beautiful event. And it, it's something new. They, I mean, they, they were, uh, they were, they were hazing me and booing me and, in uh, New Jersey, every time I fought for the title over there, uh, Iowa, uh, Georgia. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I, tr- I've traveled all over the country, training and fighting. So I've always been at different camps and and different areas where they didn't know who I was, and and it never bothered me. You know, you can you can boom all you want, you can say all this and all that. It does not affect me. Well, so I, I got to ask then, too. I, I love to end these things with a prediction. When it doesn't affect you, what does it look like on February 11th in the cage with Shane Young? Devastating finish. You got anything in particular in mind or just devastate? Devast- I'm just devastate. Get the popcorn. Get your, <laughs> get, your, get your tickets ready. You know, make sure you got your glasses uh, uh, wiped off clean and your contacts, you know, cleansed out. Because you're not going to want to blink this whole time, and you're not going to want to miss it, I promise. All right, well, you're here to hear first, folks. Blake Builder, who fights Shane Young at UFC 284. That fight once again in Perth, Australia on February 11th. Blake, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Dan. Have a great day, man. God bless you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Blake Builder. I once again am Daniel Gumby-Greenland. Join now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave... Before we get started talking about the mega event that is UFC 284, I wanted to get your take on the big retirement this weekend. Fedor Emelianenko, if MMA retirements can be trusted, is officially retired. They had a whole bunch of legends in the cage to wish him off. He laid the gloves down, all that kind of stuff. Give us your take. First of all, is it going to stay? And then second of all, if it does stay, just a, a quick recap on his career in general. Well, yeah, you know, I actually... First off, he should have retired years ago. Okay, we all agree with that. Like, nothing controversial there. Dan Henderson. The Dan Henderson loss is when he should have retired. Yeah, it was just done then. And, you know, the other aspect of it is I'm sort of getting a little sick of these, like, retirement fights, you know, where the guy just looks so washed up and it's, like, such a murdering – you know, if someone says it's their last fight, you could almost bet it's probably not going to be their best performance ever. Like they, you know, obviously already have one foot out the game, out the door. I don't know how to fix that. But what I took away from the whole weekend, and I did appreciate the celebration of his career being a huge Fedor fan from way back, was Dana White had such a vindictive ex-girlfriend kind of petty response where he was like, well, I can't consider him one of the greats. He was never tested. That is such a dumb statement. First of all, I went and counted. He beat four UFC heavyweight champions in his career, okay? And, and, in, their, and in their prime, not even when they were in the UFC, in their prime. Because right. a lot of those guys went to the UFC after their prime and were still successful. And <laughs> we all know, too, if you were around at the time, it, Pride at that time had the better heavyweight division than the UFC. So the whole thing, just that really annoyed me. But, it, you know, typical Dana. That's all I really wanted to say about it. You you know that you, you think that Fedor versus Big Nog was better than uh, Tim Sylvia beating Gan McGee? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no knock to Gan McGee, but good God. Yeah, the better better heavyweights were always in pride, um, you know, with the exception of, you know, Arlovsky in his prime was good. But even then, he, he went to affliction afterwards and got knocked out cold by, by Fedor. So, yeah, it, it was um, – Dana White's always got kind of a weak take like that. But with that being said, I did appreciate the, the send-off they gave him. It, it was nice to see – you know, Hendo there and Re- Henzo there and Hoist there. And like, just like, e- even if they had no connection to him in terms of, you know, like they didn't fight him or they didn't have a rivalry with him. You know, Randy Couture had the rivalry, but not the fight. And like, he, he was there. He, but even if they didn't have something there, they just wanted to bring together like people who matter to the MMA community and are legends in the MMA community and got him there for Fedor. So, uh, yeah, I love that. Nice, nice little send off from Bellator. They're doing something really well for maybe the, maybe the first time in a while. Yeah. And, uh, let's just end it on this too. Fedor tested himself and we're going to test ourselves because Gumby, we have some exciting fights this weekend. So let's break out our favorite segment on the show, fight stocks and parlays for UFC 284. We're going to give a couple of fights. We like break them down. We'll have a parlay to play and a dog. We like, but before we get to it, Gumby, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC 284? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's time that you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the best of combat sports like the UFC or play for a share of big cash prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments. Sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for bettors looking to get that cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right. Well, let's start with it because, gosh darn, it's a fun fight. It's one I was not a huge fan of making just because it ties up multiple divisions. You have the 145-pound champ, Alexander Volkanovsky, coming up to face Islam Makhachev. And the odds on this are very far apart. I think they have them right. I do not give Volkanovsky much of any chance. I think Makhachev is going to take him down. At will, I think he's going to body him. He's a minus 390 favorite. Volkanovski, a plus 320 dog. Let's just look at what they've done. Makichev is coming off an arm triangle choke over Charles Oliveira. Really ragdolled him. He's won a million fights in a row. He's now the champion. Looks to be uh, just a dominant beast and fixture at 155 here for the coming time. And Volkanovski, on the other hand, has dominated at 145 albeit a shorter, somewhat smaller guy for that division, now coming up to 155. He's coming off a unanimous decision win over Max Holloway, about the 10th time they fought, can never see them fight again. Huge dog here is Wachanowski. Who you got? So I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I think you're probably right. Flip a coin, tell me who's going to win. I'm probably going to say more than 50% of the time Islam Makhachev wins this fight. I think you're probably right about his wrestling being just like a little bit too much for Volkanovski. But my goodness, if, if you're looking at the implied odds here and how often Makashev would have to win in order for this to make sense to bet on him, I think the smart bet is on Volkanovski and more so not just his money line, but like he's probably not going to go out there and finish Makachev even in even in a victory. Like I saw Volkanovski by decision is plus 550. I, I do think the value here is on Alexander Volkanovsky, right? It's like, 
I I think Makachev's better, but I also think Volkanovski poses a lot of, like, weird threats to him. He's extremely hard to hold down, right? Like, he's a guy who, you know, even when, like, Chad Mendez hit him with a big power double, he was back on his feet in no time. He was peppering Mendez on the feet. I think his volume, his durability, he, he, he seems, like, impossible to submit no matter how deep he is in the submission. Like, I think all of those things make it really hard to imagine Makhshev is going to be able to put him away, especially that, like, it, it took Islam a really long time to put away guys like, you know, Tiago Moises or something like that. And I think Volkanovski is way more durable than that. So, you know, if you're asking me to say who's going to win this fight straight up, I, I'd probably take Makhshev. But if you're asking me, you know, am I willing to take a stab at Volkanovski or if I think the odds are in his favor here, I'd say I think they are. I, I think Alexander Volkanovsky's got tons of value on his line here. If he shocks the world, it'll be one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I myself just I do not see it. I'll put a stake in the ground on that. I just I actually think there's next to no way once Makhachev is on top of him, just given the difference in body size. And I get that you know Brian Ortega had a very deeply sunken choke on Volkanovsky. I would wager dollars to donuts, whatever the phrase is, that Makiachev's squeeze is better than Ortega's early. That's the caveat. Later, I would like Ortega if you're going into, like, deep waters. But if Makiachev got, like, an arm triangle in the first two and a half rounds, I think Volkanovski's going to the underworld. All right. Um, let's then go to the next fight, which is another banger. Uh, Yair Rodriguez is a minus 165 favorite. Josh Emmett is a plus 140 dog. Emmett always a live dog. This man is on a five fight win streak coming off a split decision win over Calvin Cater. Yair, on the other hand, uh, got a TKO. It was really a shoulder injury against Brian Ortega. Unanimous decision loss to Holloway before that. Beat Jeremy Stevens before that, so he's one, he's two one and one in his last four because there was also that accidental eye poke to Jeremy Stevens. Who you got here? I'm going. You know, last time I talked about how I like the value on Volkanovski's line, but you know, like, gun to my head, I'm still picking Makachev. I'm actually just straight up taking the underdog here in, in Josh Emmett. I, I think he's got so many ways to beat Yair Rodriguez here. Like, look, he he just stood toe-to-toe with Calvin Cater for 25 minutes and beat the guy striking. Um, and, and not that, you know, Yair Rodriguez isn't a creative striker or whatever, but just, like, I have a tough time believing Yair Rodriguez can put together 25 good minutes there. And on top of that, I think we're also underestimating how good the wrestling of Josh Emmett is when he chooses to use it. Because when Josh Emmett is chosen to use his wrestling, it turns out he's a damn good wrestler. Like, he, he threw it on there. When he needed one against Shane Burgos, he controlled him on the ground for a while. Like, if you want to go back to when he fought Scott Holtzman, he threw a whole bunch of takedowns in there. Like, I think he has the ability to just, like, take down Yair Rodriguez and beat him up. Because here's the thing about Yair Rodriguez that I think people forget about all the time. Yair Rodriguez has awful takedown defense. Like, straight up awful takedown defense. It's what lost him that fight to Frankie Edgar all the time back. It... In the rematch with Jeremy Stevens, which was a fight I was at in Boston, like after the eye poke when they rematched, 
he he definitely lost the third round just by being taken down regularly. And media members who were scoring that fight, some had it for Jeremy Stevens. Now, granted, that's not smart because it was mostly based on the takedowns. But the fact of the matter is Jeremy Stevens, a guy who we don't think of having good wrestling, took down Yair Rodriguez at will. Same thing with Max Holloway. Max Holloway, I don't think of as a wrestler, took down Yair Rodriguez whenever he wanted. I think Josh Emmett has that in the bank that he can use at any time. And the other thing is, like, I, I know deep down people like to think of Yair Rodriguez as a super dangerous striker, but apart from the weird elbow against Chan Sung Jung, which is a one in a million shot, and knocking out BJ Penn, this is a dude who hasn't knocked anybody out for seven years prior to that, right? Like, the, and it's, you know, I'm disqualifying two wins, but they're two very fluky wins or a win over a dude who's terrible. You know, like, it, it may be his best knockout of all time if you don't count that Chan Sung Jung one is like Andre Feely. Like, I don't think he's going to go knock out Josh Emmett if Josh Emmett can stand for 25 minutes with Calvin Cater. So I'm going with Josh Emmett here. I think he's going to pull the upset. I really like that pick. I think Emmett as a dog is – he's just one of those guys who when I see him as a dog, I'm picking him uh, because I feel like he has the punching power that could end any fight. And I also like what you brought up about the wrestling – uh, that, that could be a huge difference maker. All right. Let's get then to another, uh, somewhat interesting fight. Although the odds might have you think otherwise, uh, Jack Della Maddalena, the Australian fighter is a minus 300 favorite to Randy Brown, a plus 260 dog. Maddalena, you know, it's so interesting because he lost his first two fights as a pro. And he's now on a 13 fight win streak as a professional. He's 13 and two total. He's 4-0 in the UFC if you count Dana White contender series. He's coming off three TKO wins in a row, uh, including the last one off of Danny Roberts back in November. And then you go Randy Brown, who's a pretty sizable dog in this. But when you look at it, since losing the KO to Vicente Luke back in August of 2020, Randy Brown has put together a very nice win streak here, albeit it was a split decision win against Chaos Williams. It's four fights in a row that he's won with wins over Alex Oliveira, Jared uh, Gooden, and coming off a unanimous decision win over Francisco Trinaldo. Again, Brown, the plus 260 dog, and Jack Della Maddalena, the minus 300 favorite. Who you got? I'm going with Maddalena. I, I, I respect the run that Randy Brown's on, but the fact of the matter is, is both of his last losses are big knockouts. Vicente Luque, Nico Price, both put, took him completely out of there. And Chaos Williams damn near did, too. Chaos Williams knocked him down hard. A lot of people thought Chaos was about to get that finish, and that's why it wound up being a split decision. I think at the end of the day, Madalena just hits too hard. He's too fast. He moves in and out too well, and I love his submission defense. You know, he, he got stuck in that, that submission from Ramazan Amiev, got right out of it, um, and, and wound up just putting it on Amiev. So uh, if he can do that to a guy like Ramazan Amiev, I'm not worried about how his grappling holds up against Randy Brown. All right, our dog of the week is Parker Porter, a plus 120. Let's hear it. Yeah, Parker Porter against Justin Toffey here. You know, I think a lot of people see this as a fight that is just going to take place entirely on the feet. And Justin Toffey, hey, he might be the better kickboxer. But the fact of the matter is, is Parker Porter has low-key, great ground and submission skills. He's a guy who's, who, you know, like all coming up, people like lauded how good his like side control Kimura was and stuff like that. And he won a lot of fights on the regional scene that way. He's going to be up against a kickboxer at home in Justin Taffa. I think we're going to see him sneak in some of that grappling that we don't typically see. And 
even if it doesn't, I think his cardio and pace is just a little bit too much for Tafa, as long as he stays away from the big knockout, which so far in the UFC, he's done a pretty good job of doing. All right. Our parlay to play is the aforementioned Jack Della Maddalena, a minus 300, but pair him together with Jimmy Crude, a minus 200. So a three to one favorite, a two to one favorite. Pair them together, it gets you even money. Break down why this is a good bet. So like I said, Jack Delamedalena, I love him. But at the same time, I don't always want to just get negative 300 odds on a straight play. So Jack Delamedalena is a good piece for a parlay for exactly that reason. And I'm putting him with Jimmy Crew up against Alonzo Menafield Because, look, Jimmy Crew is a dude who I think his jiu-jitsu is super underrated. People forget, this is a guy who submitted Paul Craig when he was on the mat. Uh, he took down Paul Craig, wore him out, and submitted him with a Kimura, which is something you never see happen in the UFC, and you certainly never see happen to Paul Craig. And then on top of that, too, you know, like he's a guy who's got low-key great wrestling. He went in there with uh, Anthony Hernandez. He got kicked in the calf, had that weird drop foot that fighters get sometimes, and he still scored two more takedowns after that. So I just have a tough time imagining Alonzo Menafield stays away from that grappling for all that time. So let's pair them together. Let's get some even money on the return. I like it. And I like this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Hey, you the fans, let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. At Top MMA on the social medias is where you can register your love or complaints. Gumby, we're having fun here. Let's keep the party rocking and moving. What do we do now? We're going to transition now to my interview with Don Shanus, who is fighting down under against Jack Jenkins. But before we get to that interview for you, I have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Don Shanus. All right, and joining me today is Don Shanus, who fights Jack Jenkins at UFC 284. That fight is on February 11th, live from Perth, Australia. So, Don, before we get into the new fight, I obviously want to talk quickly about your debut. You know, it didn't go your way. You fought a huge step up in competition on incredibly short notice. But but how did you feel physically in there, you know, turning around with the weight cut in such a short period of time? That was, that was by far the craziest weight cut I've ever done. Uh, I never want to do that again. I felt like absolute dog shit, to be completely honest with you. That, that that obviously made sense being the amount of time it was. What what was crazy about it? Just the sheer amount of time, the you know how, what your body felt like. What, give us a little glimpse of what that felt like. Yeah, um, I was coming off an injury. I just started exercising again. I think like two days back into training, I I got the phone call to fight. And uh, when the UFC calls, you don't say no, especially when you're trying to get in. So I said yes. Um, they gave me about two weeks to make weight, and I cut, I cut 40 pounds in two weeks, and you saw my performance. You know, it wasn't anything special. <laughs> no, I, I, but but at the same time, you know, 40 pounds in two weeks. Now, for, for those who don't know what you usually cut, what, what does that look like in, in comparison to where you're usually at? Um, I like to cut 15 pounds. <laughs> you know, I like to cut 15 pounds. I'll diet down. I normally walk between 165 and 170 uh, when I'm eating comfortably. When I'm in shape, I'm, I'm closer to 165. I'll diet down to 160. Fight week, I'll be 58, and I'll cut from 58. 
Jeez, man. So, uh, obviously, you know, there's there's all of the toil that goes into it. There's the toil that goes into your cardio. But, but were you just in a place where, like, you, your limbs didn't even feel like they worked? Like, well, uh, you describe to me a little bit what that felt like. Uh, so, obviously, you know, when you, when you do a crazy weight cut like that, there's a huge tax you pay in your body, right? And um, it, there's a point of diminishing returns, right? And, unfortunately, in order to be a professional and make the weight – I had to fucking blow by that at that point, and uh, I did what I had to do, but ultimately what I did was I lost all the weight. I I was killing myself to make weight. You know, there's, there's a pretty crazy video online about the weight cut, but um, I'll tell you what, rehydrating, all right, cool. My body wasn't ready to process that much fluid, and I wasn't hungry, so I ended up being over 175 uh for the fight and i just felt fat and sluggish and it's like when i did that weight cut my body like lost it all and it was torture but uh it put it right back on and and almost too much on to where i felt like lethargic and like gross in my own skin wow that's absolutely wild so so let's let's shift gears now let's talk about this fight camp obviously it's got to feel a lot better than that already but Tell me, is there something you changed in this fight camp? Is there anything else that you, you felt like you needed to work on after all of that? I, I mean, look, you, you can just go up and change change everything just because uh, you have one bad performance. You know, I'm not blaming my weight cut. You know, I, I did fight Sadiq. He's a killer. But it, it, it there's not much you can change. You know, I, I feel like I didn't even make my debut yet, to be honest with you. Yes, I made the walk through the cage. I went through all the motions, every all the media, all that bullshit, but uh, ultimately it doesn't feel like I got to put myself out there and compete. That certainly makes a lot of sense. Now, I, I want to talk about your de- you know, your new debut, maybe, to, to so to speak, in Australia, but I also wanted to ask you a little bit about this fight camp. You told me you're driving out to Boston right now for it. I, I know in the past you've split fight camps. You, you've been down doing stuff at Glory, and then you were up at, at the Citadel, like, what does this fight camp look for you like for you? Because obviously, you know, there's some different circumstances in one of those gyms. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, you know, I, I had to make a decision. You know, I accepted this fight, and then uh, news broke out about Glory and everything going on over there. And uh, I was informed that I couldn't train there, and I didn't really have time to stick around and wait and see where the dust settles and what's allowed, what's not allowed, as far as training goes and who I'm allowed to train with and whatnot. So... I just said, fuck it, I'm coming back home. I linked up with my coach back here, and uh, we've been working consistently for this whole fight camp, and it's just going to be like all my other fights minus the ones I took up at Glory. Well, that's interesting. Now, do do you feel more like yourself getting a chance to train at home all this time? Because I I know in the past you've said, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to separate the home and the work life, but is it been nice to be home for it all? Uh, Well, it definitely has its perks, you know. It's like... uh, it has its perks and its downfall. Like, yes, I miss my family when I'm away from home, but, like, also spending too much time with my family, they get on my nerves. So, so it's like that's kind of like a blessing and a curse. You know, once you, you break through that three-, four-day window, then your mom starts nagging you to, like, do little things. And, you, you know, it, it, it is what it is, you know. But um, it's just funny how that dynamic works with your family and whatnot. It, it's it's not super difficult because I'm in fight camp, but my mom's a really, really good chef. And um, there's always food in the fridge. It's super tempting, but, you know, 
as long as I stay on my diet, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, the only main difference is uh, there's less volume in trading partners as far as Glory was absolutely stacked with a ton of killers, a ton of knowledge. I've learned so much there, and I'm super grateful for everything I've learned and everyone I've worked with. But here, you know, things are a little bit more spread out, more driving. So it's just a different dynamic. That makes a lot of sense. And certainly that food has got to be tempting until you remember that a 40-pound weight cut's a bad idea, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I'm, I'm never doing that again. I'm <laughs> never doing that again, you know. Granted, I don't think I'll ever have the need to do it again, to be honest with you. You know, like I said, it's one of these things where it's, you're not in the UFC. You will do anything to get in. And once you get in, you're hoping they give you a little bit more notice. You know, it, it just happened under really shitty circumstances. Like, I hurt my shoulder months before that. I got a PRP shot, and I was training with it hurt. Um, but I really wanted to let it heal. So I go home. I see my family for a month. I, I rest my shoulder and r- right back into training. It's like, hey, you got the call. I'm like, shit, I've been ready for seven, eight months, and now I get the call. You know, my weight blew up, and uh, it is what it is. It's and, what it is. And, and so you, you mentioned the shoulder now. Is is that all healed up now? Have you given it the time that it needed to to, to be back 100%? Yeah, yeah. I, that was healed up for my fight. You know, taking that month off allowed my shoulder to recover rather than just keep breaking it down with collar ties and, and everything I was doing from the, the wear and tear of training. So that shoulder has been fine for months now. And uh, my weight's been under control. It's funny. I started this fight camp lighter than I started my last fight camp and like I'm three weeks out and I'm I'm already lighter than what I uh, showed up to weigh-in day like the day before weigh-in so cut day I'm already lighter than I was on cut day for my UFC debut well that's certainly great to hear so so no big cuts again now there is another little wrinkle in your fight week though is that you're flying halfway across the world for this one right this one is not in your backyard. This one's not in the apex. This one is in Perth, Australia. So tell me a little bit about how you feel about making your, you know, sort of your real debut halfway across the globe. Oh, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm so excited. First and foremost, like, you got to assume, right, like, not that I have anything against anyone in Australia. I'm sure I'm going to love the place, and I'm sure the people are awesome. But it's like I'm entering enemy territory. Jackson, Aussie. I'm fighting in Australia. I'm sure they're just going to jump on his bandwagon. You know, I, he's super popular out there, which which I can expect. And I'm going there to beat the hometown guy, the guy from that country. And uh, what cooler venue to do it in? In, in uh, I, I don't remember the venue's name, but, like, what cooler place to do it flying across the world and uh, in Australia? You know, I've never been to Australia. I'll probably never get another chance to go to Australia. So trying to make the most of it. I love it. I love it. And and it sounds like you feed off of that that energy of being, you know, the the hometown kid's enemy. Is is that something you're looking forward to in the big arena? I'll be honest, uh I'm just excited to have fans. My debut was the first time there was no one in the stadium. You know, I fought at the Apex and Mark Zuckerberg uh had something going on and no one could get tickets. So like there wasn't even any noise in the arena. Uh, and that was so weird to walk out. And not that I felt flat. It's just like I feed off that energy. Whether it's positive or negative, I'm using that energy. So for this, I'm just excited for there to be energy, whether it's people cheering me, people booing me. I just want to go out there, do my thing, 
be the best version of me, get my hand raised, and uh, shit, man, like, that, that's all I'm trying to do. Well, tell me a little bit about what that looks like then. I always like to end these things with a prediction. So tell me, when you get that hand raised on February 11th, what's it going to look like? I think I'm going to grind Jack out. I think it's going to be an absolute war. And uh, I think we're both going to be tested. And uh, I couldn't think of a better matchup. This kid's coming off the Contender Series. I seen him fight live out in Vegas when he fought on week 10 of the Contender Series. I was there. You know, I was in the in the arena. You know, I got to experience that. I I seen his face. I just don't think he's ready for my pace. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Don Janis, who fights Jack Jenkins at UFC 284. That fight once again, February 11th in Perth, Australia. Don, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No problem, Dan. Thanks for having me on, brother. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, MyBookie, and the Picket app. And remind you guys that you can check us out on social media, at Top Turtle MMA, on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.